This is Playing Pretend with Chris McIlvenny. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Playing Pretend with me, Chris McIlvenny. Yes, I do live in Italy, but the episodes will still be coming at you weekly. This week, I'm joined by Caroline Kern, an absolute legend, wonderful actress, wonderful person. I love her. She's a legend. You're going to love it. This is Caroline Kern. Caroline, thank you very much for doing this. Uh, I feel like I haven't seen you in ages. How are you? I'm doing all right. Um, how are you? I, I know it has been too, like how many years is it now? Uh, but, four, maybe. Oh my God. Is it four years already? I, th- I think so, yeah. From the last uh, Holy Holy bus in the Lyric. Yes, because Molly, I was I was pregnant right. with you my were daughter. Pregnant. Yeah, uh-huh. I, well, I normally start this podcast by saying how we first met. So we first met <laughs> in, in the Davenish uh, in rehearsals for the Holy Holy Bus, remember? Right. Do you know yeah. how I ended up getting on that? Was I was living in Newcastle, uh, like in uni and all, and then I dropped out of uni, came home, and that was me going to be home. So I came home the day before because it was my niece's christening. So I was in the That's PD right. and it was Father's Day. And Tony Davlin walks into the big hall to get a paint or whatever. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, Tony, what's happening? And he goes, Chris, the very bad here. Do you know how to work? A, <laughs> do you know how to work a sound desk? And I was yeah. like, No, but I could, I could try it. He went, Sweet. Tomorrow morning, ten o'clock in Davenish. Holy, holy, busher doing the sound. I went, Sweet. And that then, was it. That was it. And uh, absolutely loved it. Uh, I loved that show. It was so good. I know. Um, it was one of the best times of my life that show absolutely I would do it again tomorrow in a heartbeat and a lot of people have said like oh, when's that holy holy bus coming back and I was like I don't know phone Tony Devlin get all the Pierce Elliott give us yeah, a chance you know what 100%. I mean back uh, again it was so good I, I loved loved doing that but uh, like you said with the last run in the in the lyric you were pregnant and eight I, months oh, <laughs> Caroline I've had so bad for you because you had to hide the fact that you were pregnant, so you had all these layers on, yeah. and you're on stage, boiling hot, eight months pregnant. Main and... stage of the lyric, all the lights. Do you remember the iron jumper? Yes. Because it was, uh, and the iron jumper. So the t- the two t-shirts, the iron jumper, the leather jacket, and it was just, it was insane. But it was brilliant because it it did really help me. It was just to keep going. Do you know that kind of thing? Uh, listen, eight months pregnant, straight out, no bother, no, no problem bother. at all. We did two weeks of the lyric, like. Sold out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get that in. Unbelievable. So good. Uh, it's that show, like doing that, because that was the first time that I'd done like proper like stage managing and technician for sound and stuff. And uh, it couldn't have been a better job to work on because like you and all the girls were just legends. Do you remember? You, we, Sorry, we'd be lost without you. So we would have, we would have been lost without you, big time. I don't know about that. Do you remember the time you, in in the rallies where we almost killed Stella McCusker? Right, we didn't kill Stella McCusker. She, I had to do the Heimlich on Stella McCusker because she choked on a bit of man, an easy peeler. Do you remember? <laughs> yeah. So Roisin, so Stella is a really famous actress now. Whether she wants, well, I'm sure a lot of people know about it now because it's. But would have been that would have been, yeah, the kind of first first run would it have been? Yeah, that so was maybe five you're talking years five five years ago, and <laughs> next minute interval comes, she's getting her re snack, keep her energy up because you know 
Stella, we don't we don't actually know her age, which is great because who knows what no. age she is. Game of Thrones legend, and she's she was in Bloodlands there on Sunday night I doing her stuff. Her Did you see her? I was like, yeah, Stella, yeah. legend, lover. Yeah, I know. Choked, choked on an easy peeler. Yeah, easy peeler. She was barred from Marxies by me. It was, she was not back at Marxies oh, for about three weeks. That was her. Roisin thought. Didn't know what to do. Roisin, yeah, Roisin thought she was having a heart attack. So we were all standing. I was, I think I was fixing makeup or out somewhere anyway. The next minute I seen people running in. Then I, she, I seen her, Stella staggered up, you know, the size of the Roddy's toilets, the car door, yeah. which is like from, if we were this close, it would be this close. Yeah. And she looked at me and she, her two hands on my shoulder and she was just staring at me wide eyed. And Roshi went, I think she's having a heart attack. And she was trying to, I don't know. And I thought, she's choking. And I turned to her in and I started, I thought, I ain't going to break her ribs because she's so tiny. And I thought, well, she can take a couple of broken ribs or choke. And you know, they did that really famous thing you hear about you know, people in shows. Is there a doctor in the house? Yeah. Ah. And the next thing was somebody, do you remember? Somebody came running back. They were a nurse, I think. Yeah. And I'd already dislodged it. Do you remember? I had had done it a few times and she'd sort of got it up and the nurse came and checked her pulse. And and we took an extended interval. Do you remember? Like we run Mm -hmm. into 25 minutes, 25, 30 minutes. And she went back on and not one word did she miss in that whole second half. You wouldn't have had a clue. It was unbelievable. Nobody had a clue. I remember Mm -hmm. when, when she was choking. Someone's like, go and get Mick, because Mick Dream was on stage manager. So I run around, and him and Martin Lynch are having a conversation outside the rallies, and I'm like, Stella's joking. <laughs> like, what? So we ran around, and then we got around, and you dislodged it. And uh, uh, that was the, that was so scary. The, one of the funniest things was, was we were, obviously, Claire and Roisin opened up the second half, because mm-hmm. I don't want to give no spoilers. Fingers crossed, goes back out or it gets made into something else. Who knows? Who? Yeah. And um, we, me and her stand behind the stage, and because obviously we had to go back on and wait. The way come on, whatever. And she just turned around to me. And she looked at me. And she went, "I nearly died in the effing Rotties." And she, just, and she went into this cackle for about <laughs> five, ten minutes. I was going, "Stop laughing! Stop oh. laughing!" Because they're right there. But them two were like just. Just get going. Just get going. These people yeah. were waiting half an hour. And it was one of the funniest experiences of my life. I never forget it. I never, never forget it. Because I literally... Still talk went, about it. Yeah, when we were watching... I was watching Bloodlands with my mommy and Dolly. And they were like, there's Stella. I was like, I'll never forget the day she near died, the rallies. <laughs> I'll never forget it. How could I? That was... That's ingrained in my mind forever. Oh, it was amazing. Oh, you're on mute. Can you hear me now? I can hear you. You're back. Oh, I can't hear you now. Oh, really? I can hear you. Hello, can you hear I'm, me? I can hear you. Can you... Back? Yeah I, yeah, I can hear you now. Hang on. Okay. Oh, it's all gone be tongue. I'm not wearing that in the, the read through now. Nightmare. Oh, no. Nightmare. Uh, right, well, we'll address the continuity errors. We're <laughs> just like fun people. I know. Listen, right. pe- people are used to it. It's a night. It's it's really good. Like Zoom can be really good, but sometimes it can be a, a, a nightmare. I, I have yeah. fights regularly with my laptop <laughs> trying to speak to people. It's I've had nightmare. this Mac for ten years and I still don't know how to use it. Really? Yeah, not a clue. That's not sure. Anyway, yeah. So, uh, Caroline, um, when what when when you were a kid, were you always like because you're funny? I know you probably uh, you're you're very funny. 
Were you always funny as a kid? Were you always like a performer? No, no, I was really shy as a kid. People find that really hard to believe, Chris. <laughs> but I was, I was really, really shy. Um, but when I got to about 14, 15, I was, you know, we have a group of mates and there's always kind of, um, you know, not the one everybody kind of goes out with. There's always the funny one, the mm-hmm. clown. That was me. And I used to like make, well, I think they made my mate laugh anyway. And then in school, the only thing I was really good at was art and drama mm-hmm. and English. I knew I wasn't going to be some sort of mathematician unless I played one. Yeah. Um, so when it came to GCSEs, when I did, I did a play called Dream Jobs. And it was about a girl who, you know, wanted to be an air hostess. And I got up, I went to Nolga, I went to St. Dominic's in the Falls Road. And it was run by nuns back then. And I obviously was a heavier girl, which was fine, which I still am, which is great. Because um, I had the funny. And I remember, because it was run by nuns, doing the drama, GCSE. And me and my mate were doing the play. And I dressed up in what can only do, be described as... Um, remember Alexander Burke brought out that song um, Bad Boys? Yeah. And she had a gold sequin dress. Yeah. <clears throat> me, well, I wore that twice the size I am now and sang Build Me Up Buttercup in front of 300 that. girls, all girls school and nuns in a GCSE performance. <laughs> and everybody was literally falling off the chairs going, she is a balloon. What? There's, she's not right. But she's funny. And then when I got my exam results, it was kind of clear that maybe that's the path that I was going to go down. Yeah. So I went behind mum and daddy's back and applied to, well, it's now Belfast Met and it's gone now actually, but it was yeah. Biffy. Mm-hmm. And I went to an audition and I sang It's Raining Men by Jerry Hallowell. Brilliant. With all the dance routine. Oh, the whole, like the Billy whole, Elliot type thing that, that she the did? The whole thing. Amazing. Yeah, I hadn't a clue what an audition was, whatever, because it was only 15, 16. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. And then I got accepted. And I remember telling my mom and dad are musicians and I remember coming home and the letter had arrived to say that I got this offer. And I was like, what is this? I was like, oh yeah, um, I did a wee audition thing for a college around the corner and like it's for acting. And mom was like, what? <laughs> yeah, she cried for three days. And then I, <laughs> they must be a musician. So I left school at 16 and went and did it. And the rest is kind of history. It's amazing. I had no idea. I thought I was maybe going to be a graphic designer or an right. animator, and then built me up Buttercup took over. That's it. Which is still my karaoke song, by the way. Do you know what? Uh, I actually, I actually sang that song with a guy in. I think we were P seven, and uh, it was our talent show. But for some reason, I don't. We like we we can't just stand and sing a song like Build Me Up Buttercup. So we had the <laughs> brilliant idea to add some moves. Our moves was. Why do you build Brilliant. me up? And we sang it like that, like straight looking. I was like, pick a point at the back of the room. You won't have to worry. You don't look at the people. Just pick it. So we were like zombies. Why do you build me up? And uh, we, we now we didn't win. I was raging some fella on the <laughs> you, Ellen Pipes one. Uh, he won every always. year. I was like, oh, know your niche. They'll always win. <laughs> always. <laughs> like when people are like doing our disco dancing and all, cake yeah. and fake town, and then your, your man comes out in the pipes, he's always gonna win. Everybody's crying and all, like, oh, maybe yeah, for couple, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, um, that's, that's bad. So, then, so, so after you finished, uh, so in Biffy, was, was it like a lot practical? Was it mainly practical? Yeah. 
So the reason why I didn't stay on in school was because it was theatre studies and it was more theoretical based than books and stuff, which I like, but it wasn't, you were going to get up on stage then, you know, and perform a lot and stuff. And I didn't really know what the course was I was going for. I knew it was performing arts. So I thought, well, we'll maybe we'll, we'll learn something, maybe do some songs, maybe do some dancing. Yeah. And as my brother said, I'll just let her mess around for a couple of years and then she'll go and work in a bank. It'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so I went to Biffy and it, it was a lot of performance based, which was brilliant back then. Um, we got to learn all the different techniques, you know, good house gay, you know, I like theater this or Anton Arto, theater this or absurd. Um, it, while everything, just everything and anything. And I had the best time because you were really supported by all the tutors, um, some who I'm still kind of friendly with now. I learned a hell of a lot and they had contacts in the theater. Like I'd only ever been to see pantomimes as a kid. Yeah. So this is like reintroducing me to this whole world of theater where people go to enjoy shows and watch people do this yeah. for a living and have a really great time. And yeah. sometimes change their mindset about certain things. And I was like, yeah, but I'm a funny. Can I make people laugh? Yeah, I think I think a lot of people like I know I was the same when I grew up because I had only really went to see Panto or like mm-hmm. we went to see Grace in uh, the opera house. So it was like this is all it is. You sing songs and you say funny lines. But like I was never aware the theater could be as serious like a movie, like yeah. a story and, and drama and better than a movie because it's happening right in front of you. It was yeah. the best. I, I love the fact that I was able to do that. Like when I first went to drama school, uh, like we did a, a, a thing, a Stanislavski exercise thing. And you had to be in character like for like a day. And I was like, like part of you, especially being from here, is like, oh, why is up? How could I do that? But, but then because I wasn't here, because I was in Manchester, I was like, no one knows me here. So I don't care. Whereas that here, you'd be more self-conscious. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are you like that? <laughs> what, what is wrong with you? Why are you speaking like that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, so that uh, just the fact that theatre can be so dramatic and, and real yeah. uh, never really occurred to me. So then um, once you finished there, how did you end up getting an agent? And how did uh, you end Well, up, you know? I ended up when I finished, I did the four years, National Diploma, Higher National Diploma, went and did a degree. Well, uh, so I could go straight into third year once I did the Higher National Diploma. Oh, okay. Got my degree in like eight months um, just to have something to fall back on because back then you couldn't get seen or like auditions or anything if you, if you didn't have an equity card. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't get an equity card because you couldn't work. Yeah. So I then got asked to help out on the Liverpool boat, which was a play that Carl Moore's company was doing. Um, Tony Devlin was in it. Packy Lee was in it. Tara Leonard was in it. But I'm tired. You think about it, there was about 12 of them in it. Mm-hmm. And the main star was Lewis Emmerich, who was Big Mac Johnson from Brickside. Mm-hmm. Um, Gordon Fulton. There was so many of them. It was written by Mary Jones and Morris Bestman, who back then had written was writing Hollyoaks. Yeah. So Carl had asked me to come and kind of like assistant stage manage I, you know, I was front of his manager, you know, follow spot operator. There was just yeah. everything. And that was my kind of door in to this world mm-hmm. where you're making contacts, you were getting to meet people. Oh, she's quite fun. What are you interested in? Oh, I'd like to do acting someday. Good for you. 
but I ended up in stage management mm-hmm. and I became a stage manager for five, well, it must have been about five, six years. Uh, loved it, absolutely loved my job, was good at my job, loved, got to meet and work for nearly every theatre company there was in the North, um, which just had me in my context to get auditions. And then it, w- it came to the point where there was things in my range, you know, age range, mm-hmm. you know, and try, like people knew me to give me the audition because yeah. like, oh, it's great. I go in for, for, for it. They go, oh my God, that was brilliant. Will you stay as the show? Okay. Because it was good at the job. Yeah. So then I made the decision that I had to stop doing stage management to get people to see me yeah actor as an actor yeah um so i retired on the feet of champion mm-hmm. and then i went for the lyric used to hold general open auditions where you go in and perform in front of a panel two pieces uh your shakespeare and whatever contemporary you were going to do and then tricia who owns spanner and works theater company she was sitting on the panel and i did and she, I did a monologue and I can't even think it now I wish I could about a girl who was at a party was trying to impress a guy who got so blocked she had a bowl of nuts and bucked over everybody Okay. and she's like everybody else back then all the directors were sitting there like this and I was giving it the stacks like mm-hmm. and Trisha was laughing going she's a gig <laughs> so she was she phoned me up as soon as I left the kind of room so I thought that would do like a lay balloon cracker yeah. Um, never get, I'm never going to work never <laughs> going to get work and she phoned me and she was like I really loved what you did today could you come and audition for my show So, and it was about drugs and you know kids down and stuff like that And <clears throat> but there was comedy elements in it for the part that I was going for and I went for the audition and she was like do you want the part and I was like oh my god yes of yeah. course I do <laughs> and within I think a couple of weeks I was way to the Brighton Friends Festival because that's where it was starting. And I was like, I can't believe, first of all, I'm going somewhere else. I'm actually going to do a job that I really want to do. The part was brilliant. The play was great. Mm -hmm. It it was just unbelievable. She then became my agent and she's she's my personal manager. She's been looking after me from then. That's class. Yeah. But it's stage management. But like yourself, you you do and you know people. 100 percent. like i i'm so grateful that i did that when i did that um because the the first time i did i was 17 i was helping with props or whatever it was always with with brass neck and then that time and in the pd tony was like right come on you're doing holy holy bus and then from then i like stage managed a lot of their shows and and was technician and what was so uh, interesting to me was learning how much work goes into putting on a show yeah. Because the not only like the audience are completely unaware, but some of the actors are too. And I find that that some actors really they show up at their call time at six o'clock and we've been here since nine in the morning, set them stuff and they're like, uh, why is this there? Or where's my thing? Or where's that? And you're like, oh god, that's funny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, that's you don't lose your mind. That's yeah. what I found. I found sometimes years and years ago when I was stage management you know, when you didn't get the jobs and you were watching other people in roles that you could you could play mm-hmm. and they were like, it was a chore, but they were working and I was just looking going, I could I could be doing that. I could be doing that while I fix a chair, while I hang something off the wall. Yeah. And it gave me a, a, a brilliant understanding because I became very good at lights. I became, mm-hmm. you know, great at 
probably I'd have to learn QLab now, like if I, if I really wanted to. Yeah. Um, sound. I did set. I built sets. I I I've lifted heavy sets, which was in the Grand Opera House. Well, um, I remember the set for Holy Holy Bus. It was them big flats, uh-huh. and they were so heavy. And you, <laughs> we, yeah. we were doing the get in to the the Eric, and you were like. Come on here, we'll do it. I'm like, no, Caroline, you don't. Like, you were like, ah, I'm a stage manager, why so come on, let's go. I know, and you're not supposed to, and I keep forgetting. I should know that with that, the whole health and safety forms, I should know, but I was like, because I I did it so long, I hated to stand by and watch yeah. what I knew just for two seconds. 100%. Sorry, you don't have to hurt yourself. But if you're careful enough, and I and I knew yeah. how to operate stuff, mm-hmm. but it gave me a better understanding. Somebody once said that, I'm probably the only person that could light and do my own show. Yeah. As well as be in it. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I, yeah. I absolutely everything. Props, costume, set, lights, sound, and now on stage. I've done it all. I remember, because uh, I, I love doing it, but it was always in the forefront of my mind, I'm going to be an actor. This isn't what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. Like you, I was like, no, this is just a job, but I will be eventually on the stage. And I remember there was one night, you just went home and I was walking the stage for Karen Bagnall and Tony to light the stage and see. But I knew the Holy Holy Bus inside out, that I knew every place where you stood and looking out on that theatre, even though it's empty, I was just like, ah, this is this is good like I like started here I love this and then obviously the next night you've got to take my part <laughs> I had to press Who the buttons part did you play the best though oh, part did you know more? I, I, I did a really good Stella McCusker I was really <laughs> I was real. I was really good at that um but yeah no it it, it gives that's it it gives you a, another understanding of what goes on and if you oh, have that understanding then you have a, a patience with it like you kind of and an appreciation for the hard work that techies do because it's funny like I, I've been on tour with shows and then I would go to the theater to do the get in or whatever and we'd do all this stuff and you get talking to the in-house technicians and stuff and they're always like oh actors <laughs> the worst <Yeah. laughs> and then I'm like I'm an actor they're like no no not right now you're a techie I'm like, okay. uh, yeah so yeah, when yeah, I, I used to go on tour then as an actor and then meet all my mates who are techies mm-hmm. and they all go, oh, just turn to the dark side. Here she comes. I'm like, well, That's but because I had, I had met and built so many relationships over the years, you'll always find me with techies, yeah. always, because that's where that's where it came from. Yeah. I'm very proud because the hard work that goes into putting on a show is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Like you can go on to the small hours to make something work that may only last 45 minutes. Yeah. But it has to be the best it can be. That's why the stage management invest so much into yeah. it. It's, it's the attention to detail, which I was I was so attracted to. Like the attention to such little detail and closing the barn door of a light like, like a mm-hmm. wee inch. And they're like, no, 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 it's important and, and blah, blah, blah. I just absolutely loved every second of doing that. But I don't do it anymore. Because I'm an oh, actor. Oh, that's it. Now you're on stage. Okay. <laughs> well, but it's stuck in the house, so quarantine. Uh, yeah. I know. Um, welcome, so welcome to the real world of acting. I know. Hundred percent. Um. So, Caroline, then, um, you got the part as Maggie Muff in ah. 
50 yeah. shades of red white and blue uh-huh. and uh my mom loved that she went to see oh because there was three of them wasn't there there was there's there's four of them it's the four that's class there's four now yeah that's unreal um, see when you were saying about standing on the stage you know doing the holy holy bus and standing in for the lights the show that i went in with with martin lynch the saying about the heavy set i was walking stage for them to do the lights mm-hmm. and I remember standing, looking out on the Opera House stage, saying to Martin Lynch and all, I'm going to have a one-woman show here one day. And they all laughed. Cut to five years later, there I was, yeah. starting with a sold out. Sold out. One-woman show. Yeah. One-woman show at the Grand Opera House. And I, I said, do you remember I said five years ago, I'm going to stand there? And they're all that. you're right, you're right. You did. Andrea, you did. that's class. Yeah, I, yeah, it's been an absolute seven years. Really? Seven years. Yeah. That's amazing. She was supposed to come back out, bless her. Yeah. In, in June, in the brand new opera house. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of everything, it's all been pushed back again. Nightmare. So hopefully she'll be back out in January. Yeah, course. it'll happen at some stage. That's brilliant. Um, I remember because uh, my mama told me, so she kind of tricked me, right? So <laughs> it was when Fifty Shades of Grey was like, being read by all the mass and uh, my mom is like here there's a couple of girls in work talking about this these books will you uh will you try and download them for me onto my ipad so i'm like yeah no worries so i go on the websites and download these books and i'm like okay they're they're in this this is where you find them and blah 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 and then cut to maybe six months later when it's all over the news 50 shades of gray like one of the most popular <laughs> books ever i'm like you had me download filth onto your iPad and I, I was I was so unaware of what I was downloading for her I was like you're disgusted yeah. <laughs> I was like, can't believe you made me do that but then she and then people go and watch it live on stage I know <laughs> I know but not as uh, explicit it's not as explicit as that no get that out yeah anybody starts googling and going what is she up to what is she a one moment show <laughs> well how does she it's by herself <laughs> She, she read the book? Yeah. Um, oh god uh, no but um it's <laughs> it's so crazy how how big that maggie muff and and 50 shades of red and blue ended up being i'm not surprised was, um yeah it's it's on it's completely surreal even to this day to me sitting here right now and what date are we at the 8th or 9th of march mm-hmm. 2021 we're all well, seven years ago I got asked to read a script. I know there was a few a few others had read it, which is great. I hadn't seen the Facebook thing that had started up by Lisa. Mm-hmm. So I genuinely had, <clears throat> excuse me, no idea what it was. Because I never read, obviously, the Fifty Shades book either. Because um, I was actually on tour with a kids show down in County Kerry. Right. When I had to go for this reading. And um, I was like, oh, apparently that's this Facebook kind of. You know, everybody was sharing offices going, if this was to be Belfast woman and blah, blah, blah. So this whole thing was going on online. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had no idea what it was, hadn't read any of it. And then I went and read. And it was like, oh, do you want to read the part? And Because you had to see, say the C word on stage, which is quite taboo, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but C-O-N-T, not the other one. Um, it's quite explicit in terms of sexual content. You know, a woman on her own. A young girl on her own, mm-hmm. and I was like, "It's fine, it's totally fine." <laughs> you know, yeah. it's a part. It's and it. so actually, the time that it happened was the flag protests were all happening. Mm-hmm. 
uh, the heavy snow had came. There was a lot of cutting and editing. Lisa and Martin, like Lisa, they worked so hard because, you know, the conditions down to, like the original performance that I did, the first half was an hour and 15 minutes. And the second half was an hour and 10. That's crazy by yourself. To do first time that. it went out. So went into the Mac. It had kind of sold out. They had to put extra nights on. There was extra weeks going on. I still had no idea what was going on. Mm-hmm. All I knew was I had to learn all of these lines. Like still kind of trying to find my feet of what was going to happen. I'd done a one-woman show the year before with Trisha, where I played mm-hmm. Marilyn Monroe, Ellie Mornos and Mo Molem. So right. that that's was a, That's a funny mix. I know. <laughs> and the button of all three, by the way. Um, I had sort of had the feeling of what it would be like to be by myself on stage, mm-hmm. but not to the, the extent where I would never leave the stage mm-hmm. for that amount of time and the amount of lines. It was unreal. By the time we opened, that show was done in eight days. That's mad. With Christmas had passed, the flag protests were happening, the snow had happened, everything had all went like this. Mm-hmm. And eight days, we got that show, I opened in the Mac and it was eight days. That's unbelievable. And I'll never forget, because for me, it's kind of like a blur. Mm-hmm. And the way I can describe it is, once them lights go down, I feel like I don't breathe for two hours. Yeah. It's just go. And when the first preview went up, mm-hmm. see by the next 24 hours, my life was just flipped on its head. Literally turned on its head. Mm-hmm. Everybody just went, what is this? What is this? This wee girl is playing 14. Well, actually, there's 12 in the first one um, with all the wee bitty bits. Um, these many characters, men and women, different voices, different like there's a bed she's to push this really heavy bed and jump from scenario to scenario and people had already read the books that i you know the, yeah. the things online i hadn't so they were coming with expectations they knew what they were coming well some did some didn't um and i'll never forget that like as the weeks went on i'm mad this was going to go yeah, because I'm still kind of wandering around, going, "Isn't this the guy? I'm doing a play. <laughs> yeah. It's all by myself. Sure's this great. Looks, it's brilliant. Martin's brilliant. Nurse me just talking the words. And probably and I- little did you know that, like, you would be doing it for what seven years then? Seven years later, four of them. <sighs> yeah, it, it was just unbelievable. And it with each like- with each one, it kind of got bigger and bigger because, like. I remember it was a dirty dancing in the Shopping. Second one, yeah. Second one. I remember just seeing billboards everywhere of that. And I was like, what is that? I'd I love know. to because I love dirty dancing. I hadn't I didn't know that it was like the sequel. And I was like, I love dirty dancing. What if I could go see that? My boy was like, You're not gonna see that. <laughs> <laughs> no, a lot of people came thought they were seeing dirty dancing in the musical. That's not what they got. No. That is not what they got. No. Um, yeah, it just it, the more that happened, because you know what it's like with sequels, everyone has a certain expectation of, like there's an example, Coming to America 2. One of my favorite, Coming to America is one of my favorite films, Coming to America mm-hmm. 2. It's like, yeah, what's happening? Yeah. I know, there's been 20 whatever years gone. You're like, man, chill out. Yeah. So when Dirty Dancing was then mentioned and it was like, it was like a first time all over again. Yeah. It's expectation. Oh my God, what's going to happen? Ah, what's going to happen? And then the third one came and then, 
the fourth one, which is Maggie, your ma, because there was no book. Everybody, it was like waiting list, waiting list. It was the, it was like the first time all over again. I remember the lights going down on the first night in the opera house, walking out, and literally, as soon as the lights came on me, the whole place just went ah, and suddenly, like the director's husband went, it was like Mick Jagger had walked on the steps, and I and I never forget because I'm trying to hold this kind of like you know direct mm-hmm. direction that I was given, and the whole place were all like literally hanging off chairs going ah. And I was going, I'm like this, what is happening? Because obviously there's been like year breaks and two year breaks. Yeah. And so everybody was going, what's going to happen? Ah! And I was like, I have no idea what's going to happen. All I know is I have to take now for two hours. And yeah. hopefully not fall over on my face. So when you but do it, it, when do you, when you do it, when you do those shows that are like two hours of just you on stage, do you kind of be in your head or is it kind of like muscle memory and it just kind of no. goes? No, I constantly run the script. I can see things in front of me. Mm-hmm. It's a really weird thing that I have. Um, hopefully I still have it after being off for a year and a half. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, um, I see things and I'm constantly running. Even if I'm uh, like on the interval, on the break, I go from scenario to scene to scenario to scene and like... And I, I run around trying to talk to people because people go, she's on her own. She needs to concentrate all the time. It can be a bit lonely. So I'm yeah. running after people going, talk to me. Even though I'll talk to you like now, mm-hmm. but I can be still running the whole yeah. show in my head. And it's the sheer concentration. And as I get older, it's learning to look after yourself so you don't get yeah. sick and all of that. Because if you get sick, there's, there's no one there for you. That's you know it. I mean? Yeah, there's no understudy for Maggie Muff. Maggie was on. Well, it's just don't stop her that. And it. I wouldn't I wouldn't miss it because sometimes every show feels like the first time. Yeah. There's never been once where I've went, oh. And something like back then I used to do two shows a night, you know, mm-hmm. back to back. Wow. So you'd have another break in between. And it every show felt like a, the the show, the yeah. brand new show. Mm-hmm. And the support that I've had from people is unreal. Like, yeah. They just, they love her. They love yeah. the character of her. They love the idea of her. They love her best friend who has all the funny lines, even though it's still me. Mm-hmm. I used to get people come up to me after the show and go, you were very good. You're a good girl. And I say, I like the other one better. <laughs> you know, girl. I was like, yes. Oh, she's pretty, She's really funny. Like, you're good. But the other one's better. And I'm like, still me. That's cr- well, you've done your job then. Only if they <laughs> that's so bad. I that's, that's so funny. Uh, yeah, I'll tell her. I'll tell her. I'll just head back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's uh, that's unbelievable. I can't like, I've always been uh, very intrigued by one person plays, uh, just because of the multi rolling and the story led by one person because it's. Someone said to me recently, is it not just like stand up? And I'm like, no, no, it's very, very different because there's not that audience interaction. You kind of almost um, you, you're just telling a story and it kind of has to be the same every night. There's no like improvising or anything like that to play. It's written. Yeah. You do it. So um, 
and and there's that pressure of if you forget a line you can't like turn to the other person on stage and be like i'm fucked there so help me it's none of that it's just you're holding it it does make you value other actors Mm -hmm. and especially if they're your mates even better but and it does you miss that not you know they say i'll say throw the ball catch the ball and you take the weight out you do miss that Mm -hmm. i mean you get other different things with being on your own because you you learn discipline you learn you know how you how you to control things mm-hmm. a bit differently like the first time i am done with it seven years ago and the heckling was unreal yeah that i come off stage and cry because i didn't know how to cope with that yeah because it's not stand-up comedy you know it's it's not that it's a play i'm trying to tell you a story and people pay for it and then the fights used to escalate in the aisles because mm-hmm. this person couldn't hear so that person so then there was you know, one time there was fist fights and there was all there. Like I have Crazy. literally had everything that you can think of that shouldn't happen in a theater mm-hmm. has. And by the time as I grew older, so then always I have a make, I'll win. Yeah. I will win. Yeah. Um, and they used to give a wee bit back just to acknowledge it. So we could mm-hmm. move on. Yeah. And sometimes try and drag it on. And then I used to tell them in character. It was always in character. It was never yeah. me, but it's learned. That is something that I've learned doing a one-month show. I'm not a stand-up comedian, though, because that's no. a different genre altogether. That's 100%. a whole other specialist area. Yeah. Um, and but you're saying someone else's precious script, you know, and yeah. you can't act out their words where it's yeah. not you. Yeah. You know, you yeah, you have to do it, their their script justice. You can't absolutely. just go off on your own and be like, fuck up. <laughs> no, no. Like, I, I have shouted at people a lot. Yeah. They all think I'm big. Because yeah, of course. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also but they if, feel like they're a part of it. Yeah. So and because she does have such a, a following, the character. Um and the people are genuinely nice, it's just they get too hammered and then yeah, it just escalates and then sometimes the show can run for two and a half hours by the time you finish. Yeah. And, uh, and then you learn what you can what you can deal with and what you have to move on mm-hmm. from. Yeah. Um during lock during the first lockdown, I uh I wrote a one man play actually for myself because uh I'm not giving it to anyone else, right? But um, I've never done one. Like I've never, uh, yeah, yeah. I'll be in touch. Um, he does with me. Um, but it's I find it really interesting in that uh, writing it for myself has been very different. I I feel less um precious with it if that makes any sense because I wrote it. I'm very much like, well, I just want it to be the best play it can be. So any feedback that people have been giving me, I'm like, yep, no, give me it. And I'll take it on board and, and see what I can do with it. But I think when it comes to actually performing it, um, I don't know, because I've always had the camaraderie of, of being in a cast of, of people, doing it myself and doing the words that I wrote and the story that I'm telling, it's, it's going to be a, a scary thing. That's... Yes, but what will help you is your director. Yeah. It's picking that person the jail that connects with you, that gets gets your story, that can help you when you have gaps that you that you can't see. Yeah. You know, because you're so in it, it's it's your baby. It's that person that you can that is close enough to tell you that listen, I know this is your baby, but this does not work in yeah. this part. Park it for something else. Mm-hmm. Reading it out loud. I mean, when I started the write with Julie, mm-hmm. um we'd We'd read about our family 
things. That's that was our comedy. It's obvious, obvious comedy, and we'd read about our situations that had happened to us and things that had happened, and that's where the comedy came from. Yeah, was our own personal situations. Yeah, and it's people being able to see themselves in those situations. Yeah, relatable. Oh, she's like my aunt Rita, or she's like whoever, and mm-hmm. always like my uncle Spoon, and <laughs> it it came from when we handed it over. Even though sometimes it was like, no, but I I think that worked, and then getting people to read it. Mm-hmm. That was one of the hard, like it's one of the hardest things is handing it over to somebody. And especially if you're going to be in it, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's sitting with that person going, this is what I want to do. It's obviously to showcase yourself, mm-hmm. it's picking the right person that can make you and the play the best it can be. Yeah. And that's that's my, if you were to say, right, I want to do this play, I want to take it to somebody, I want to take it to producer, director, find somebody that you trust. Yeah. And that, that you can have fights with, that you yeah. can debate with, that you can go and, you know, they have to be able to see what you're trying to do as well. But mm-hmm. if you find that, you're so, there's no running in it. Yeah, of course. You know what I mean? Um, Carla, to- you, you just mentioned that you writing, you and Julie writing the, the Christmas shows. I remember um we were in Newcastle doing the Holy Holy Bus. When you were t- saying to the girls, you were like, man, Julian wrote this thing and theatre at the mill, what did it And then fast forward like a year or two I later and you started doing another one and another one. And I'm like, come on. I, I was like, Carling, come on. Because, but it's on like, I had never written before I wrote this. So you have that self-doubt and you're like, no one's going to want to see this because yeah. you wrote it. And maybe because you become so... Uh, like it, it becomes not funny anymore. You've read it so many times. You've wrote it so like you you've looked at it and looked at it and tried to change bits. And you're like, it's not funny to me anymore. But an audience who have never seen anything are just like, ah, unbelievable. Love yeah. it so much. That was our biggest fear. Well, my biggest fear definitely was, is this funny? Because mm-hmm. obviously I'm coming from people have seen other, I'm doing other people's scripts, which are outstanding. They're seeing the funny. So they want to see, they go, oh, she funny? Let's see what she has. Yeah. And I had the extreme fear of going, I'm going to be hated. No one's ever going to want to come see me after again. This is horrendous. Why am I writing this? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this to myself? Mm-hmm. And then when the first one opened, there was, it's funny. And then it's just year after year after year. Great cast, great director, great stage management. And that's what makes the shows. Yeah, It makes that anxiety a little a little less harsh because I'm telling you see the anxiety you feel about your play now it won't go away yeah even when you're performing it and you're starting talking to people about it afterwards it will not go away yeah it'll just get easier to manage yeah (laughs) yeah uh it's be it it, because it it must be weird like um having that uh, like I I know what you're saying but having that self-doubt right from the first time that you've got the commission from Theatre de Mel or whatever it was, and the fact that this was going to happen, and then you put in your first draft and your second draft, whatever. Three and then... Drafts. Three. Three. So then three once, you're, one, once you're up on stage and you're in the middle of a run, like, is there ever a point when you're like, oh, I can relax now, people love it? Because um, we had like four weeks run. It was probably like the day before we finished, right. where we looked, well and press night and stuff because you know you have reviewers and stuff like that and we spent nine months writing it 
you know, three drafts. Also, we did rewrites off the cuff as well. Things mm-hmm. didn't work. You, you just had to be always on. Yeah. And the actors do their own thing and you see them, you know, and what works and what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And it was just the two of us looking at each other going, you know, on our curtain call, like, and everybody's clapping. You're like, yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for coming. Tell your friends. Yeah. And yeah. then it's over before you know it. So okay. enjoy it when it starts. Yeah. Sometimes you get too worried about it. Is it is everybody going like this? Is it going to do well? Oh no! And you forget. Yeah. You the actual crap you should be having within your play. Yeah. You can't enjoy that their enjoyment of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's only like when you get a few goals out, you're like, yes, this is this is why I do this. Mm-hmm. This is what this is about. Um, Caroline, uh, with uh, do you know how buzzing I was when I was watching Soft Border Patrol and seeing your wee face? <laughs> I can't um, even tell you. It's really weird because obviously, because I know so many actors from here now, but I don't know. There's there's something about you that when I see you, I'm like, there's, there's her. She's weird. She's blue. My, I know. My she's she's that's my mate. She's a blue. She's funny. I was in the first season mm-hmm. and then I got pregnant. Oh, yeah. And so. I came to the first season. So then the second season came back. Um that Julie so they brought us in. And obviously Julie was my best obviously my best mate. Mm-hmm. And Marie was like, Okay, the two of you come over for your costume fittings. Um, you're gonna meet your partners because obviously Fuelon was her partner in the first one. Yeah. And you know, because of it, everything was being different, everything was being moved around a bit, that would bring us over, brought us over where we're supposed to go in this place, and it's like, okay. Can you come in, Caroline? Can you go on up? The producer, there's a producer upstairs, which there was. Can you go up? Or uh, Caroline, can you go in there? Julie, go in there. Blah blah blah. And the next minute, so I gets brought up, and I'm being filmed, and I didn't know, but I have the film now, thank God. And the, one of the producers filming, and I walked into this room, and there's the other producer, and Julie's sitting, and she looked, and I was like, right, yep, what's happening? And and then I turned around, and Julie went, oh my God, are you my partner? And I just went. And you know, all the producers are sitting smiling away. The two of us went, ah, high five. Oh, yeah. We were all like, oh, the BBC is going to regret putting us two together. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. It's going to be mental. And that's how that kicked off. And they said, what's better than pairing, you know, two together than two real life best mates? Absolutely. Who work together, who bounce off each other. And it, it was just surreal. Cause, and Judy really, like, because I had so little experience in filming mm-hmm. as well. And it was improv. And it was, you know, you were learning facts off the cuff about Brexit. And it was it was hard work. Seven in the morning, the seven and eight, on 24-7, fire mm-hmm. lunch time. Yeah. You know, out filming. And then you'd do another take, something else would be said. So you'd run with that. It was constant. It was easily one of the hardest jobs I've ever done. Really? Literally, and I've done one woman shows on my own. Yeah, and that, there's a crew there. There's people there. There's other. Uh, there's other actors in there. There's mm-hmm. there's extras in there. Everything, and there's cameras. Just and you're like, what is happening here? I have to speak now. I'm going to look at through these binoculars and look at that seagull and pretend I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Literally, yeah, because it's funny in that like a lot of people are like. TV and film must be a lot easier because you can make mistakes and go again, but like. See when you make a mistake, you're like, eh, 
<laughs> like, yeah. it's because so, you know you're wasting everyone's time and, and yeah. they don't find if say you start laughing the cameraman and the boom operator whose arms are breaking is not finding it funny it's like shut up get on with it yeah a couple of times the crew were trying like they had to turn away because whatever me and julie were saying and they keep saying that he's brilliant as well because he 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 has done stand-up comedy, so the things were flying, and you're trying not to laugh at him. He's trying not to laugh at you. They're trying not to laugh at anything. Yeah. But we're trying to do a comedy show. Crazy. So it was it was it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And Marie, the producer, I think, thank God. Do you know how I got that? So I was all kind of new to Twitter and stuff like that, and this guy had emailed me, he direct messaged me through Twitter, going hi. So you're an actress would you come for an audition and i thought serial killer cracker mm. brilliant i was like big big balls hi where is that <laughs> listen if i have to go to a house in the middle of nowhere i'll maybe think it's a bit shifty but you know what i'll go just in just case to sure that i'll just bring awesome. something in my bag i'll you know, maybe or i bring a big later something <laughs> and the next thing was says is i got this message through you know whatever and and then it turned out it was to go down to the BBC to do these workshops, you know, for the first time round. Mm-hmm. And you walk in, you see all your mates, you know, they had other agents. Yeah. My agent didn't have that contact. So that's why your man got in touch with me directly on Twitter in a private message. Crazy. And I went down, met all these other ones, Marie, the producer, her partner, who's also a writer, just done his, with Fiona Doherty, you know, the podcast one. Yes. The crime, you know, what happens in Ulster. Yeah. Him, they were all in my auditions. And it was two days, like two days, I think. Yeah, so you had the group one, then you had the, the purred ones. It was it was tough, like, because it was mm-hmm. improv. Yeah. And see, when you haven't done improv in a long time, you know, it's different if you're coming out of college, you're kind of on. When you haven't done it in a few years, you're like, oh, can I still do improv? Yeah. Is there hard. is there a new system here? Just never say no. Just no yeah. no's in improv. And Yeah. He got in touch with me. He's now a producer from BBC. So, now that fella. And it was just by chance. Yeah. I got that. You know, Judy's agent had sent her, and we were in separate groups. Mm-hmm. We weren't even together. Um, there was a lot of brilliant actors there, too. And obviously, once again, the soft border getting the soft border. But it was brilliant. And it was like, you can't buy that experience. Yeah. And even the experience of having to do improv in a. Yeah. in an audition i remember uh when i was 18 i um i got asked to do this thing we went to a wee village in uh in the netherlands and it was a thing ran by the eu and it was uh 10 people from six different countries uh so there was ireland latvia france <laughs> sweden holland and somewhere else italy or whatever but we had to, so we got put into groups and separated and all. So there was like sixty people, all uh, of all ages, and uh, you're trying to improvise with people who English isn't their first language. Yeah. So how the hell do you be funny? And then we, at the end of the week, we had so what it was, we would go round this wee village and they would set up like meetings. So we would we would be put in groups. So I'd have like a a Swedish fella and a Latvian girl and all these people who were in my group. So then we'd go and they'd set us up meetings and we would go to these people's houses from this wee village and like interview them. So then we would have like for ideas, but then we had to, so the scenario that we were improvising would come from whatever we learned from this person. 
but then we would just have to go but the people would be in the audience so i remember we went to this woman's house and she was like do you ever watch what's eating eating gilbert grape yeah like the mum in that like she was just like sitting there and she couldn't move or anything and then <laughs> so then we it was our turn our group's turn to do our improv or whatever and then this guy uh from sweden just put, got a chair sat it down and went i am fat and started to, I, and she's in the audience she's there like and i'm like oh no so then it was and then we they incorporated i was trying to stay on the outside i was like i don't want to be part of this so then we met other people during the interviews these religious people so then so we incorporated it all into one improv so it was this fat woman being like oh i'm so fat and then these holy people are like bless you you're going to die like and i'm like oh my god this is horrific and they're like please god please god so then i was like how do i how do i do this and they were waiting on me to come in and i went i am god and they were like god what can we do and i was like here you are a gym membership and do you know what, Caroline? It was the worst. Oh it was the worst experience of my life. I hated <laughs> it. I literally wanted the ground to swallow me up whole. I was like, "What am I doing here?" I In the middle, Adam swallowed you all up whole. <laughs> like, trust me. Oh, horrendous! It was the worst. Amazing experience, but like the yeah. specifically performing in front of I, these people. Yeah, horrendous. I think a, an improv situation should be managed in a certain degree yeah so that you don't end up possibly offending every single person that you have watching yeah you know literally, i was like this is supposed to be nice this is supposed to represent this village and we're calling and her fat calling them ridiculous because they're religious and saying she needs to go to the gym because god oh said god. oh my god chaos I, that there's your show <laughs> yeah that's it right that's how that. you started and inevitably ended in that small town yeah <laughs> yeah we'll be back there's yeah. posters we wanted Chris McAlenny yeah. for offending oh. people. Yeah, horrendous. Um, so Caroline, just to finish off, what um what advice would you give for uh, any aspiring actors or writers that are looking to get into the industry or anyone who is already in it needs to be kick up the arse? Just always kind of keep going. It's the only thing I can say. Even after this year, you know, there's a lot of mental health can be affected you know and it can this industry in particular is very difficult you know there there isn't enough jobs there's not enough money you know and it can really affect you and my one thing would be is keep going keep talking to people you know if you have ideas and you want to do something do it don't don't sit under it don't you know don't go oh, i'll do that another time See if you're free and you want to open up and do something, just do it. Don't don't be discouraged about anything. Don't think anything is ever shit because it's not. It's to do, you know, it's your own thing. Like for talk's sake, it took me a long time to get motivated throughout this lockdown, especially with things to do with my own family. I have a daughter, you know, work has gone. It's just literally had five shows evaporate out of my life. My whole life just kind of, everybody's lives have stopped. Mm-hmm. So finally, you know, I I did courses with an ice screen there years ago, well, about a year ago. I'm doing BBC workshops. Uh, I've now written um, a play. I've written a short film. I've written some monologues. 
it's only in the past few months because like everyone this is a horrendous period of time but we'll look back on it and go yeah. we got through it mm-hmm. where are we part of history now and see if there's something you want to do so for example your show you you take it it's yours start making the contacts now start getting on the people going listen are you free for a coffee i'd love you to read it it doesn't take somebody an hour, like an hour or two hours to read what you have to sit and you know give give your face you know especially heads of companies you wanted me to read it i'd read it no problem especially young ones coming into this industry industry now it's it's it is difficult but it's difficult for us all but just keep going don't be like oh i've wasted that time going to do that nothing's wasted mm-hmm. put it down because you never know that one wee bit of luck that door will open and it sounds so wanky to say it it really does but i've had a really supportive family really supportive friends base especially everything that's happened to me in my life in the past two years with julie diane and you know that's that was like half of me gone not in terms of just writing partners just in terms of my life yeah. half of me missing mm-hmm. so it's trying to reevaluate everything but never giving up yeah because there is those days where you don't want to get dressed and and funny enough i did dress myself that i use him and you know like everybody i'm in a house coat at least i'm getting dressed you know yeah, there's a bonus 100%. you know and and trying to do things that just always keep going because i see a lot of young ones coming out of drama school now and they didn't even get to finish their year yeah. you know and and it, it's it's hard and it will be hard how do you get an agent and batter them just keep hammering at them mm-hmm. and you will get nose with all the nose are always just keep going because see the more that you're seen the hammer on you'll get there yeah. so I, I said i mean i'm gonna have a one woman show one day you watch she's with and i did you did it and i'm gonna have a tv show here for here for belfast that i'm gonna write and i'm gonna be in and it's gonna happen mm-hmm. it's a matter of when class do you know what i mean you're a legend but you're Caroline. a legend you're, no, your play. you're you're yeah, we'll send him a play. We'll send him a play. I'll be in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can play my girlfriend. Yay, um, they'll be like, I, lo- I-, I prefer that other one. Uh, <laughs> I like the other one. She- yeah. She'll be, you need to get on to another Zoom call for her. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Caroline, thanks very much for doing this. I really Definitely. appreciate it. Lovely seeing coffee. you. Lovely yes, seeing you too. 100%. Too. Lovely bits. Thank you. So there you have it, folks. That was Caroline Kern. Next week, I am joined by the absolutely hilarious Aidan Brooks, an old teacher of mine at Trauma School. If you could, tell your friends about the podcast, like and subscribe to the video. This has been Play and Pretend with Chris McElvenny. See you next week.